you would please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we're going to notice the first six verses. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. There's a story told of a wealthy man who was bothered by severe eye pain. And he had spent much money and consulted many physicians and had endured many procedures to try to be alleviated with the problem that he was having with his eyes. At last, a wise man came to him. And as he came into him, he told him, he said, what you need to do is to look upon only one color. Everything that you look upon needs to be green. And you do that for a little while, and your eyes will get to feeling better. Well, of course, the man was skeptical about what he was told. He had never heard such, but he was sort of at the end of his rope, so he decided he would do as the wise man said. This rich man had his servants to buy up most of the green paint that they could come across, and he began to paint everything that he owned green. He painted his walls, his floors, he painted everything green. And this went on for some time. Well, later the the wise man came to visit him, and his servants ran out to him, and they took a bucket of green paint and dumped it upon the wise man because he was dressed in red. Well, Understanding what had happened, the wise man laughed and he went to the, to the millionaire and he said, if only you had purchased a pair of spectacles with green lenses, you could have saved these walls and these floors and, and all of these things that you have painted uh, green and a whole lot of money. He said, you cannot paint the world green. He said, let us change our vision and the world will change accordingly. He said, it is foolish to try to shape the world. Let us shape ourselves first. Acts chapter 10 begins a very important account in the history of mankind. Well, I can't find that. Where's the? I'm sorry, I just noticed I don't have. I don't have the uh, uh, PowerPoint template. At any rate, just bring it. Just just leave that up there. That'd be fine. Just leave it like it is. We'll 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 uh, 
forego the PowerPoint. At any rate, chapter 10 of Acts begins a very important account in the history of mankind in relation to God. We begin to read in Acts chapter 10, and we notice that this account of the conversion of Cornelius, there's much more time spent on this particular account than of the very first one that we read of in Acts chapter 2, where 3,000 had obeyed the gospel. Now, the Holy Spirit has left for us this account for a reason. He's gone into a lot of great detail. Now, we understand up to this point in the history of man, the gospel was preached only to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. And so this is a first for the church. Of course, the Jews had understood that there was a prophet coming like unto Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15. And God had spent thousands of years preparing the Jewish people for that just so this moment in time could take place. But we understand that the gospel was intended for all people. The gospel was intended for everyone of the world. The prophets of old, they spoke of a time when there would be the opportunity for all people to enter into a covenant relationship with God. Isaiah prophesied this. He said in Isaiah 2, 2 through 3, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And notice this, and he said, And all nations shall flow unto it. And many people will go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord unto Jerusalem. Now we need to understand some of the history of this good man before we finish our topic before we can truly understand exactly what we need to understand concerning Cornelius, we need to understand a little something about him. He was part of this group that Isaiah spoke of. He was part of those whom would come to the house and would learn of the ways of God. It was Joel that talked about the events that took place on Pentecost. Joel said this, Chapter 2, verse 32, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Whosoever, not just Jews, not just the nation of Israel, and Cornelius would be included in that. Peter repeated those words during that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.16. He said, But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now had come the time. It was time that the Gentile was invited into the Lord's church. But I want us to notice this, what Isaiah and Joel was talking about. They were talking about being obedient to God's laws. Talking about being obedient to the statements that God would deliver to us. We have to call on His name. We have to walk in His ways. That's obedience, isn't it? I believe we have the account of Cornelius for a reason. I think one of the reasons we have this account of Cornelius is because I've heard this statement, and I know that you have too. So-and-so was a good man or a good woman. Surely they will be in heaven one day. 
Well, God will make that choice when we stand before Him in judgment. He will make the decision on who enters into the promised land, eternal heaven, and those who do not enter in. But He's given us a direction in this life to follow, to make sure that we can stand there. And I think that Cornelius, so much time is spent on him in the inspired Word of God that we can answer a question like that. So-and-so was a good man. Now, though he never attended any church services, he didn't really uh, present himself as someone that was a religious individual, but he was a good man. Look, there are people in the world like that. There are people in the world who do not follow after Christ, but I agree, they are good men and women when it comes to a moral standard. As we look upon this historical account, I want us to ask ourselves a question. What did a good man do when it came to understanding what he needed to do to be saved? I think we need to understand and make the appropriate application to our lives exactly what the Spirit intended for us to know. Cornelius was a good man, but what did this good man do when he learned from another Christian or from a Christian what he ought to do to be saved? The first thing I want us to notice is he was accountable. He was accountable. He held himself accountable. Now there's a difference between just simply being accountable and holding yourself accountable. We may be accountable to the law, But we may not hold ourselves accountable to the law. We may break the law. We may do things in contradiction to the law where because we do not hold ourselves accountable. One of the first things that we notice about this man Cornelius in his description is that he was a devout man. Cornelius was a devout man. Now this word devout used in connection with Cornelius is different from the word used in Acts chapter 2 when it talks about devout men from all over the world had gathered together for the observance of the Pentecost feast. Those devout men in Acts chapter 2 indicate someone who goes out of their way not to offend God. The devout, the word from which it comes from in connection with Cornelius, comes from a Greek word that indicates someone who believes in God, but who does not have knowledge of God. He was a believer in God, Cornelius was. Why? Because he was a good man. He wanted to please God, but he did not have proper knowledge of God. He was like so many of the Jews, who Paul said were zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10 verse 2. He wanted to do right in the sight of God. There's no doubt in my mind that Cornelius was a good man. He was a moral upstanding man. He wanted to please God, but he did not know how to please God. And so, we understand that he needed to do something. But before he could ever do anything, he had to hold himself accountable to God. Cornelius also, I want us to notice, feared God. He feared God in this reverential sense of fearing God. He wasn't afraid of God in that he was this overbearing taskmaster that he he feared for his life before God. He had a reverential fear and awe and respect 
for God. He wanted to do right in the sight of God. He wanted to be pleasing to God. He for he he feared God, and because of that, he converted to the Jewish religion. He became a proselyte. He did away with those pagan religions that all of no doubt his family and and those of whom he knew had adhered to for so many years. He became a proselyte to the Jewish religion. Of course, being stationed in Jerusalem by the Roman government, he would have come into contact with faithful Jews. He would have had the opportunity to learn about their religion and to be taught what it meant to be, in their minds, a child of God. And he converted to that religion. He not only wanted to please God Himself, but notice something else that he did. He introduced his family to God. He wanted his family to hold themselves accountable to God. He wanted his family to be devout toward God. He wanted his family to be a child of God. He wanted them to be in heaven one day and to be saved. He was also well known for his benevolent nature. And Luke said that he gave much alms to the people. He gave to the poor for an occupation soldier who had been hired to... uh, show such kindness to these people, again, who was hired to keep them in oppression, to keep them in subjection. This was out of the ordinary. This was not usual for your normal occupation soldier. And this, I believe, speaks loudly to his character. There's no doubt that he was a, was a good man, which was in great contrast to your usual or your normal soldier who would have occupied this part of Jerusalem. But in his being devout to God, he had a wonderful prayer life. Sometimes we overlook this, I believe, in in the account of Cornelius. And I believe his prayer life ought to be imitated by followers of Christ today. Luke wrote that he prayed to God always, or that he was persistent in his prayers, that prayer was a part of his life, that he relied upon this prayer. He wanted to be able to come before God, and he wanted to be able to pour himself out before God because he had such a belief in Him. Now I want us to keep in mind, Cornelius was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He was a good man who had a good reputation. He was known among the people. It was reported among all the nation of the Jews that Cornelius was a fair man. Acts 10.22 And what? an amazing compliment for a Gentile because the Jews were not permitted to interact or to keep company with the Gentiles. This good man who was devout, he wasn't just devout. He held himself accountable to God and he was devout. But he was also a determined man. He was determined that he would understand what God wanted. He was determined to live like God wanted him to live. Though, we go back to his characterization of being a devout man, he didn't have the knowledge of God like he needed to have, but he was still determined. He wanted to be faithful. He wanted to commune with God through prayer. And it was at just such a time as this, on this particular day, while he was communing with God in prayer, that God sent an angel, and the angel spoke to him. And he did it in a vision. He appeared before Cornelius. It was about the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the evening of our time. 
And he sent a message from God. Now we shouldn't think this out of the ordinary for God to communicate with someone who was not in a covenant relationship with him because as we look back over history, we understand that God spoke to many people. He spoke to many people who were not in covenant relationships with him. He spoke to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke to Laban, Jacob's uncle. He spoke to Rahab. He spoke to uh, uh, the king of uh, 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 Egypt. He spoke to those people. And so he spoke to them so that he could relay a message. Now, of course, we understand this was the time of miracles. Miracles had not ceased up to this point, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. And so we need to understand that God would use whatever was necessary. So at any rate, he spoke to this man Cornelius. And he told him what he needed to do. But I'll tell you something I think also is, is very important. He called Cornelius by name. God knows each of us. And he does know us by name. God wants to have a very personal relationship to us. And the angel told him, he said, your prayers and your alms, they have come up as a memorial before God. God had certainly noticed what a good and a moral man Cornelius was. He had recognized that. That doesn't get by God. But I think at this point in, in the narrative, it's something that we need to understand. Cornelius was praying to God. But was God acting upon Cornelius' prayers? Well, John 9.31 tells us that God does not hear sinners. He doesn't act upon the prayers of a sinner. So what's going on here with Cornelius? God obviously heard his prayer, right? Well, God hears all prayers. When we're talking about God not hearing a prayer, what we're talking about is his interaction with that individual that is praying. Unless we are in a covenant relationship with God, unless in, in our time today we're Christians, God doesn't act upon our prayers. Does He realize someone's praying? Of course He does. God knows all things. But notice that the text doesn't tell us that God was acting upon the prayers of Cornelius, that His prayers came up as a memorial before Him. Now let's go back to these prophecies that we talked about. There would come a time, according to Isaiah and Joel, when all the nations of the world could be in a covenant relationship with God. And now was the time. What is a memorial? It's a reminder, isn't it? Not that God needs to be reminded of anything, but the Bible is written in terms that we can understand. It came time, and it was a reminder that it was time to allow the Jew into the Lord's church, or the Gentile rather. Though the actions of Cornelius had been witnessed by God, we're not to understand that morality alone was going to save this good man. He was still in need of something, wasn't he? And we know many people just like Cornelius, people who are moral and upstanding, but like him they must also seek out the path to righteousness, the path to eternal life. And like Cornelius, they need to hear the words whereby they can be saved. Acts eleven fourteen. God knew Cornelius had been praying, but he wasn't saved. We can't pray our way into salvation. And therefore, he sent an angel to give him a message. Go send for someone. You have Simon Peter come to you, and he'll tell you what you need to do 
to be saved. Just like Saul of Tarsus was told to do. Acts 9 verse 6. Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Jesus speaking to Saul said, Go into the city. There it will be told what you need to do. Jesus didn't convert Saul on the road to Damascus. He allowed Ananias to convert him in the city of Damascus. And it was there that he obeyed the gospel. So as we investigate this idea of what a good man did concerning salvation, we see that Cornelius held himself accountable to God. That's the first thing that we notice. He held himself accountable. But secondly, he acted upon what he was told. He didn't ignore God. The angel commanded him to send men to Joppa to find Peter, gather up Peter, bring him back to you, go all the way to Caesarea. And even though it was later in the evening, it was about 3 o'clock, Cornelius did not wait. He didn't wait around. Why? Because it was important. It was important. When we read the accounts of salvation, the accounts of conversion in, in the Bible, here's one thing that we notice that is it, throughout all of them, each person or people heard the gospel. They were baptized into Christ. And they didn't wait to do it. They did it upon understanding what they needed to do to be saved. Cornelius, not having heard the gospel plan of salvation yet, sent for Peter. He didn't wait. He understood it was important. He was a believer in God. He was a good man. And so he asked Peter to come to him. According to Brother McGarvey in his book, Lands of the Bible, it was about 30 miles from Peter to Cornelius. But that wasn't the normal route. That was the very straightest route, but not one that they normally traveled. So what we're looking at here is more than 30 miles of walking by foot to go get Peter because it was important. He called his two servants. Cornelius didn't wait, and he was willing to do whatever he needed to do to be saved. And he called his two servants. He called one loyal soldier. He told them about the vision that he had, and he sent them on. Go get this man. His plan was to send them on the journey immediately. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to decide whether or not he wanted to obey God or not. He didn't have to do any of those things. Notice the characteristic that we're reading about in this good man. He was told what to do, he learned what he needed to do, and he immediately did it. That is the characteristic of a good man. He simply obeyed. I think anyone who is sincerely seeking out what God wants will obey what God wants them to do. And they'll do it in a timely fashion. Of course, today God speaks to us in a different way. He's not going to appear to us in the form of a vision. The miraculous, again, 1 Corinthians 13, is ended. But He does still speak to us. The writer of Hebrews said this, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. He said, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has anointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. So He speaks to us. 
And Paul explained to Timothy exactly how he speaks to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. I want us to notice for a moment what things we gain from this communication with Jesus. He speaks to us, but He speaks to us through the Gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. But the Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. It's profitable to tell us what we need to do to be saved and how we need to go about doing it. It's profitable for telling us how we need to live in this life. That's doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It tells us when we're not doing that. We read it and we say, I'm not formatting my life. I'm trying to paint the world green instead of trying to change myself. That's reproof for correction. It tells me how to fix it. It tells me how I can go about doing what God wants me to do. It tells me how to live a correct life. Cornelius is also a good example of what we ought to do when we learn what God's message is for us. Now up to this point, he didn't know what the gospel was, but he had a message. God told him, you go get Peter and you bring him. He's going to tell you what you need to do to be saved. How did he react to that message? He went and got his family and his friends. He said, you need to hear this message too. Is there a better reaction than to bring our kinsmen and our, and our friends, Acts 10, 24? He would have known the approximate time of Peter's arrival. He was prepared. He was ready. He wanted to hear the life-saving message. And when he entered the home of Cornelius, notice what Luke said. Peter found many that were come together, Acts 10.27. Is there a more important subject that we could share with someone? Is there a more important subject that we could help someone to understand than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Of course not. Peter under, or Cornelius understood that. Now, I want us to go back to the beginning thought of the sermon. Can a good man or a good woman be judged sinful as they stand in judgment before God? Well, it depends on their behavior, doesn't it? It depends on their reaction. It depends on what they did once they found out. I want us to notice that this good man who held himself accountable before God, a man who acted upon the message that God had delivered to him, the one that he received, this good man, our third and final point, is this. He accepted what he heard. He accepted that. I want to notice that he opened his heart and he allowed the saving message of Jesus Christ to fill him up. He learned about Christ's earthly ministry, the way in which he used the power of God during his life as a preacher, how he reached out to those around them and healed the sick. Acts 10.37 He learned how Peter was an eyewitness to those things, how Peter walked with Jesus and learned from Him. 
Finally, he learned how the people had rejected the message of Christ, how they had unjustly tried the man, illegally put him on a cross, and he died there. But he also learned that he came forth on the third day, that he gave himself and he shed his blood so that we might have salvation. That's exactly what he taught those on Pentecost as well. And in Acts chapter 3, Cornelius learned those things. And it was Christ who said this before his death as he instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, 28, he said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What did this good man do? If Cornelius was going to gain victory in God, he would have to accept Jesus. He would have to accept Jesus, not the old law, not the priest under the Jewish law. He would have to accept the God-man, the Son of God. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not the old law. I think often I've overlooked the fact that Cornelius had dedicated himself to the law of Moses. But he was willing to accept and to open his mind to something else that could be proven to him. All who live now, who have ever lived, will be presented to Christ on this great judgment. Cornelius opened his mind, but Peter did something also. He ordered. He made an order, didn't he? While he was still preaching, while he was still talking uh, to Cornelius and his household about the words of life, the Holy Spirit was manifest in Cornelius and his household, and he began to speak in foreign languages, Acts 10, 45-46. The only time in the history of mankind that this has happened since Pentecost. It's only happened twice. It happened on the day of Pentecost when God poured out the Spirit upon the apostles and they spoke in tongues. It has happened in the history of man as is recorded in Acts chapter 10 that He was he poured out the Spirit on another group of individuals and they also spoke in tongues. At no other time besides these two events has this ever happened or occurred in the history of mankind. The only time that anyone has ever been able to receive a spiritual gift was by the laying on of the hands of the apostles. Acts 5 verse 12. Peter had to go back. He would have to leave this house. He would have to go back to Jerusalem and he would have to explain to those Jewish Christians that the Gentiles have now been accepted into the church. And he needed some evidence of that, didn't he? And that's what this was. They weren't saved because they were speaking in tongues. God can give power to do that to anything He wants to. It was a sign that they were accepted into the family of God. Do you remember when Balaam was riding upon the ass and it spoke to him? 
It was a dumb animal. But God gave it power to speak. God gave power to these people in Cornelius' home to speak in foreign languages. But it was to prove that God endorsed their coming into the church. It didn't save them. Baptism of the Holy Spirit has never saved anyone. But Peter knew God was no respecter of persons, Acts 10.34. But the miracle would allow him to speak with greater confidence when he went back to Jerusalem. He would be able to tell them that God accepted these people. But after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, He then ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, Acts 10.48. He demanded it. He said, who can forbid the water, right? Why would we not allow them to be baptized? Don't forget the purpose for Cornelius sending for Peter. Acts eleven fourteen. He needed to hear words by which he might be saved. The Spirit never saved anyone outside of the preaching of the gospel. He heard how his family could gain salvation. He added. He had to be added to the Lord's church. Acts two forty seven. He had to be buried with Christ in baptism. Romans six three and four. So we ask the question this morning. Was Cornelius a good man? Absolutely. Cornelius was the best of men. If everyone lived a life like Cornelius lived, we would have no need of jails in this world. If everybody lived a life like Cornelius lived, no one would ever be in want who was in want through no fault of their own. But was this good man a saved man? No, he was not. So what did he do when he learned how to be saved, this good man? He followed the gospel plan of salvation. He believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, Acts 8 verse 12. He repented of past sins, Acts 2.38. He confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, Acts 8.37. He was immersed in water so his sins could be washed away, Acts 22.16. And that good man continued to live a good life. But he didn't live a life as a Jew any longer. He lived a life as a Christian. He was a good man before. And he was a better man after. Those were the same answers that Peter gave on Pentecost when they said, what should we do? It's the same message. It's the same for everybody. After obeying the gospel, Cornelius and his friends friends urged Peter to stay with them for a time. No doubt there was more teaching that was going on, and we can see the enthusiasm in this account that people have after obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding that now they're in a covenant relationship. Having that desire to grow and mature, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what... A good man did. I want us to end on this note. Cornelius couldn't pray his way into heaven. He couldn't get into heaven just simply because he was a good man, a moral, upright man. He had to be obedient to God. That's what a good man did. If you stand in need this morning of answering the Lord's invitation...
Just because we haven't obeyed the gospel doesn't mean we're not good people. But it does mean that we're lost people. And we want to be found. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, do that as we stand and as we sing.